Uh, well, good evening, everyone. Uh, my name's Vincent. If you haven't met me, I'm one of the student ministers here. Let's pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us. And now as we read about the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that we would understand it. But more importantly, we would understand it significant and obey the Lord Jesus Christ. And in doing so, honour him. And we ask all these things in his name. Amen. Well, how you start determines how you finish. How you start determines how you finish. Uh, Let me give you an illustration of that. Uh, Have you ever seen a little kid and their parents are trying to encourage them to eat more vegetables? And there's a particular vegetable called broccoli. And they're going, just try it out for the first time. And the kid looks at that vegetable. And right from the get-go, they don't like the smell of it. They don't like the look of it. They do not want to put that thing in their mouth. And so after much persuasion, you know, the parents go, you can do it, just try a little bit. And maybe a bit of temptation, you know, afterwards there might be ice cream. They finally entice that kid to put in that broccoli into their mouth. Now, what's the first reaction the child has? Mmm, delicious. No, the kid spits it out and goes, yuck. Now, why is that? Is it because broccoli itself don't taste good? I don't think so. I like the taste. Or is it more likely because from the start, They determined, they thought, broccolis are the worst thing in the world and I won't have a bar of it. Where you start determines where you end. And it's true for many areas of life. Uh, Carpenters, they have a saying, if you're going to build something, then measure twice, cut once. If you're going to build something, make sure that you have the right measurements before you cut. Otherwise, what you'll end up with is a wonky cupboard. Uh, Accountants, you know, they want to make sure that they have the right numbers, They're using the right programs. Otherwise, when it comes tax time, it's going to be chaos. How you start determines how you end. Well, in the past four weeks, we've been looking at wisdom from a number of different angles. Uh, We've looked at wisdom from the perspective of the world is ordered. There's a pattern. There's a routine. You can understand the world that we live in from the book of Proverbs. So that's one starting point. Or we can look at the world through a perspective where it's actually broken. It's chaos. Sometimes you work hard, but you don't succeed. And the world is not as ordered as it should be because of sin. That's the book of Ecclesiastes. So there's different ways that we could have looked at wisdom in the past couple of weeks. But today we come to 1 Corinthians. And in this letter, the Apostle Paul is addressing the Corinthian church about a number of issues that they have. But he wants them to start at one point. He says there's lots of ways that you can deal with your issues, but actually the starting point matters, and he wants them to start at the cross. Now, for many of us, that may not seem surprising. After all, you know, when you're driving along the road, you see a church, there's a cross up there. Uh, You talk to someone, uh, they may be Christian, they may be not, they might be, but they might be wearing an ornament, a cross on their neck. We see the cross everywhere. Jesus died on the cross cross we all know that right it's normal but Paul doesn't simply want us to start at the cross he goes a bit further than that he wants us to understand that if you really understand the cross you'll see that it's foolish so look with me in verse 18 Paul says for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing 
or again in verse 21, God was pleased to dwell those, uh, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of the message preached. That is our instinctive reaction when we hear about Jesus dying on the cross should be, well, that's silly, that's stupid, that's foolish. And we actually miss something of the impact of what Paul has to say if we don't understand that we start with the foolishness of the cross. And yet somehow despite this foolishness, it is God's ultimate power. And so today we're just going to step through why Paul wants us both to see its foolishness, but also to see the power of the cross. And he begins by making a massive, massive statement. So look with me, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is God's power to us who are being saved. Notice the division that Paul is making here. He divides humanity not into men and women, not into uh, different nationalities or skin colors. No, he says there are two groups of people. There are those who are perishing and there are those who are being saved. There are those who will face eternal judgment and there are those who will face eternal salvation. And what's the one thing that divides them? It's the message of the cross. How do you understand what it means that Jesus died on the cross? And Paul's saying, how you understand that, whether it's folly or whether it's power, that will be the dividing cause between perishing and salvation. That's a big statement, isn't it? It makes you kind of ask yourself, well, how do I understand the cross? What does it mean for me? Because if what Paul is saying is right, then it actually makes a big, big difference. And so this begs the question, why is the cross foolish to some people? And the answer is what God says he will do about the wisdom of the world. So we come to our first point, the wisdom of the world. And to start with, Paul quotes from the prophet Isaiah. And the prophet Isaiah spoke hundreds of years before. And it's basically a promise from God that he will act in such a way that all the wisdom of the world will become nothing. So look in verse 19, he says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the understanding of the experts. So this is a promise that God has made. And now Paul looks around and he says, well, hasn't that time come? Hasn't God actually destroyed the wisdom of the world? And how does he do that? Well, Paul looks around and he says, where is the philosopher? Where is the one who is revered for his understanding of the world? Where is the scholar, the one who knows the traditions, he knows the law, he knows the books? Where is the debater of this age, the one who could persuade you of anything by the way that he spoke? See, as Paul looks at these groups of people, this is the best of the best. These are the brains of the world. If you wanted to get the brains of the world, this would be it. And I think it's quite similar to the world that we live in, isn't it? We look up to people with credentials. Uh, when you see someone on, you know, if you've ever watched the TV show Q&A, where there's a talk panel, well, you have someone on there, and the more letters they have after their name, whether it's PhD or MD, then they're well-respected. We look up to the entrepreneurs who can uh, be influential in their business. This is the wisdom of the world. But what's the, Paul, what's the point that Paul's making? 
Well, as we see in verse 20, hasn't God made all the wisdom foolish? Just as Isaiah prophesied that the wisdom of the world would be destroyed, it's come to pass. And why are they foolish? It's not because the wisdom of the world fails to discover amazing things. They have. It's not because they're not important. They are. Instead, the reason why they're foolish is because despite everything that they know, they fail to know the one thing that's most important. They fail to know God. So look with me in verse 21. It says, For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of the message preached. See, the wisdom of the world, it knew so much. It looked high and it looked no, and it knew so much. But it did not know God. And ironically, God displayed himself in the one thing that they never looked to find. And that was Jesus Christ on the cross. That was the gospel proclaimed. And so I think one of the implications that this has for us is... It means that we can't rely on worldly wisdom to know God. What do I mean by that? We see we live in a society where we are always finding out things. We are always progressing. It feels like technology is always advancing. We know so much more now than 10 years ago, 5 years ago, even a year ago. We know so much more. There is always scientific breakthroughs. And it feels like maybe one day we'll reach a point where we'll know everything. But the thing is, you can't discover God. Instead, God has to make himself known to you. You can't discover God with a PhD. You can't discover God with street smarts. God reveals himself. And Paul says the only way to know God is to know him through the message that was proclaimed. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he illustrates this with two examples, talking about signs and wisdom. So look with me at verse 22. It says, For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. So let's just unpack this for a bit. What's he saying here? Paul's saying, How should God act? How do we expect God to act? Well, for the Jews, it was a matter of signs. It was saying, If you're really God, then show me something so that I'll believe in you. And for the Greeks, it was about wisdom. And what Paul's speaking about here is their love for logic and reason and understanding of the world. And so it's saying, if you're really God, then you would make sense. You would fit in with how I understand the world. Now, both these things aren't bad in and of themselves, are they? When Jesus was walking this earth, he kind of did many signs. He showed people that he was really God so that people could believe. And we believe in a world that is ordered because God has created it and God is ordered. And so signs and wisdom are not bad in and of themselves. But there's a way of looking at signs and wisdom so that the person at the driver's seat is yourself. There's a way of talking about signs in which you say to God, unless you prove to me why I should believe in you, then I won't believe. Let me tell you whether this sign is good enough or not. And again, with wisdom, you can arrive at a point where unless something fits into your system of thinking, then it doesn't make sense. 
unless it makes sense to you, then it can't be possible. And so for both science and wisdom, you can come to a place where the person in charge is yourself. Uh, I remember talking to a fellow once who said, I would believe in God if he appeared to me right now. You know, it's like if the door opened and he walked in right now. And I said, well, that's great because, you know, Jesus actually has come into this world and Jesus was God and he ate with us and he spoke to us and he touched us. You know, he was here in the flesh. And he said, well, that's good, but why can't he do it again? Why can't he come and appear before me right now? Now, on one hand, that seems to make sense, right? He just wants proof. But the problem is, he wants proof on his terms, on his conditions. Who's in the driver's seat? It's not God, it's himself. And sometimes as Christians, we might do something similar. We might say, okay, the cross is good, but I want more. I know that God has revealed himself through the cross, but I want something a bit more miraculous, something a bit more powerful, maybe a healing. I want a sign that points to something greater. I know I've got the crucifixion, but I want a bit more. Or perhaps, and this is one I think that we're uh, a bit more likely to fall into, we want God to make sense not only to us, but to the world around us. Uh, There was a movement a while ago that basically said, let's read the Bible and let's read about Jesus. But every part that kind of feels odd, you know, when he's walking across the water or he's changing water into wine, let's get rid of those. Let's just get rid of the parts that we don't like. Let's make it so that it looks wise. And in that case, they go, well, the cross is good, but it's not enough. It's not enough. And in both cases, again, Who's in control? It's us. And so the Jews wanted a sign and the Greeks wanted wisdom, but they wanted it on their terms. And that's why the cross is so jarring. Because look at what Paul says, verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. See, what is the cross of the Jews? It's this big boulder they can't get past. Why? Because... For them, how should God act? Well, the king of God, the chosen one, he should come in triumph. He should come in victory. Instead, what did they get? They get Jesus on a cross. Someone who takes upon the curse of the world. They wanted a sign, but that's not the sign they wanted. And for the Greeks, as they think about the world, they go, well, God has to be powerful. He's big, he's amazing, right? But what did they get? A man on a cross, helpless, dying. This was not the wisdom that they were seeking. Are you beginning to feel that foolishness yet? Are you beginning to feel why Paul says, this is the message of the cross, is foolishness? You see, we live in a world in which Christianity is kind of part of the culture that we live in. And Jesus dying on the cross is normal. But there's nothing normal about a man on a cross who claims to be God. Just imagine this. Paul's going around and he's trying to tell people about this amazing God. Is this God powerful? Yes. Is this God wise? Yes. 
How? Well, all of it was seen when Jesus died on the cross. That's foolish. But for those with eyes to see, here was God most fully revealed. Upon the cross was the wisdom of God displayed. Upon the cross was the power of God most fully displayed. Did you notice in verse 24 that Paul says, Yet to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is God's power and wisdom. Did you notice he doesn't simply say this is God's wisdom. He says it's God's power. Now, why does he say that? He says it because the cross is not simply something theoretical. It's not something abstract. When Jesus died on the cross, evil in this world was truly overcome. When Jesus died on the cross, sinners like yourself and I were brought into relationship with God. When Jesus died on the cross, this was the power of God most fully displayed. And this is the wisdom of God because this is not simply a contingency plan. It's not a backup option or a plan B or a plan C. Right from the start, the very climax of God's plan was that his Messiah, Jesus Christ, would die on the cross. No one, no one would ever have been able to think of that. And so Paul goes even further in verse 25. He says, Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. And so Paul is saying, it's more than simply going, you know, God's power is human strength times 100. He's saying, no, if you want to understand God, it flips human power and human wisdom completely on its head. So you don't start with how you understand the world. You start with the cross to understand the world. That's the lens which which you look through. You have to start at the cross to understand God and to understand the world. And if you start someplace else, then the God that you end up with is not the God who's there. And so where does this lead us? Uh, If you've drifted out, this is the time to come back in. Because what would it look like if we truly understood that we needed to start at the cross? How would this shape where we ended up? Well, firstly, I think this would shape the way that we understand God. So if you're a person here today and you're just checking things out and you're trying to understand what Christianity is all about, it's really good. But I want to encourage you, you need to take God on his terms. You need to take God on his terms. See, there's lots of things that might stop you uh, from saying, I want to follow this God or I believe in this God. It might be gender. It might be sex. It might be the way that the Bible talks about money. There might be lots of things. But here's the thing. If God is God, then actually he's the one that sets the rules. If God is God, then he's the one who actually says, this is who I am, and you are the one who must work out what it means to be a creation. And the place that he has done this most clearly, where he has revealed himself, is through the scriptures, and most clearly in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you're here just exploring today, then you need to let God set the agenda for who he will be. 
But secondly, if we start from the cross, it will shape the way that we understand the world. See, our temptation is always to look at the world, look at the way the world talks about power and wisdom and success, and go, well, you know, Christianity is just a slight variation of that, isn't it? But actually, the cross turns that completely upside down. Let me give you an example. Uh, when Paul was writing this letter, he was addressing basically a kind of um, a leadership faction uh, rivalry that was happening in the church. There were some people going, I want to follow Paul because he knows a lot. Some people going, I want to follow another guy called Apollos because he's a better speaker. And basically the church was saying, well, we want to follow different leaders because of what they can offer. That's not very different, is it, from our political system? You know, if someone's not in, um, in favor for the election polls, then let's just kick him out. Now, how do you end up there? You end up there because your starting point was never where you should have started. And Paul says to them, actually, if you started with the cross, you would never have ended up there. Because how is true power shown? True power is shown when Jesus gave his life for other people. That's true power. And that just rips apart our kind of understanding of, I need to have my rights, my entitlements. Right? Instead, Jesus says, actually, the wise living is when you live for God and you live for others. And it just trickles down to little things, like when you come to church. Instead of going, well, uh, you know, do I enjoy the service? Do I enjoy the music? Do I enjoy the different things? You'll go, well, when I come to church, it's about others. How can I build up the person next to me? Who do I talk to after this service so that I can actually get to know those people who don't have any friends? How do you end up there? You end up there because your values, your understanding of this world starts at the cross. And so I want to encourage us all. It's easy, isn't it? The temptation is always there to start with the world and move from there. But I think the encouragement and the challenge from this passage is that even though the cross of Jesus Christ seems so foolish for those who are being saved, it is the wisdom, it is the power of God. So let us start with the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that even your folly is greater than our wisdom and even your weakness is greater than our power. Heavenly Father, we would never dream up of Jesus dying on the cross being the ultimate act of wisdom and yet you have deemed it to be so. And so, Father, as people who follow this Lord Jesus, may our lives be based upon the cross itself, the foolish message and nothing else. And we ask this in the name of Christ Jesus himself. Amen.